Well, good morning. I will uh, forever be referring to the Well Church as the castle. So if you want to talk to me about the Well, you got to call it the castle, all right? Otherwise, uh, we're not talking about the Well, okay? Uh, if you're a guest here and you're wondering what is dragon strong, uh, we are in a school and our mascot is a mystical dragon. And so we have adopted that here as well. And I uh, love these people. It, Principal Moore is amazing. And uh, that's just a cute video. Uh, thank you, by the way. Uh, for, for seeing this school as worthy of our resources and our time and our generosity. Um, we are speaking a message bigger uh, than you could if you're preaching at somebody in, in a lot of ways. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, if you have the word, we're going to jump right in today. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6. So jump in there. Uh, we're going to get going today. We've been in a series uh, called Resolved, Rhythms and Habits That Matter. Um, if you need a Bible, by the way, just raise your hand high. And uh, the ushers will come down and give you that Bible, and uh, that's our gift to you. If you want to keep it, please take it with you, keep it. We, uh, uh, if you just need it for today, just leave it behind on your chair. Um, hey, we, we always want to say this to you. Um, we want to say to you, we want your eyes on the Word, okay? We want you to see that um, it's not just me making things up today. It's not just me talking. I'm kind of pick up like great ideas and just, you know, threw it all together. It's actually coming from uh, the Word of God, and I want you to see His words and not a man's word. In fact... Probably more so than that, and, and really today, I want you to know that the message and what we're talking about today, I, I'm convinced more than, than anything that um, it's impossible uh, for, for God to do anything today unless, um, let, let me rephrase that, it's impossible for any of my words to have any impact on you today uh, apart from him. It is absolutely impossible for what I'm going to say to you today and talk to you about for it to change your heart. And that is what we're talking about today is your heart. And for that to change, it is solely in the hands of the Holy Spirit of God. I, I, I'm telling you, the subject today, what we're going to address uh, is, has to be navigated by, by the Lord. And on another side of that, I would just encourage you to say to you today, uh, you um, probably uh, would enhance that by inviting the Lord into your heart to speak about this today. We've been in this sermon series on habits and spiritual disciplines and thinking about the new year. So I'm not going to ask today uh, who here has kept their New Year's resolutions already. Uh, I don't want anybody to feel shame or anything like that. Uh, but I am going to make a point to tell you today that uh, if you made New Year's resolutions, uh, you should be really proud of yourself, like, like for real. You should be uh, really satisfied, really happy that you thought about, I'm going to think about my life in 2019, and I am going to create uh, some goals and some habits and some things that will change 2019 so it looks a little bit different than 2018. And I, I think those of you in here today, I'm going to say as kind as I can, uh, that want to uh, shame everybody who, doesn't, who made uh, New Year's resolutions, and you know who you are, whoever you are, uh, you say, uh, uh, how, you know, I don't do resolutions because it's just going to collapse anyways, um, you think it's kind of crazy. I want to tell you, uh, I think that's crazy. I think it's crazy not to think about your life and plan what you want to see changed and to enter into habits to make that possible, to put your effort forth in that, and then to invite God into that. I think that's crazy. And so whether you do it in January, or you do it in February, or you do it in you know, December, or wherever you do it, let me tell you today that our God is the God of the reset button, okay? You can hit reset today and start now. You can plan and dream now 
for what you want to change in your life. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter that you even planned on January 1 to stick with something, and here we are on January 20th, and you're like, man, I'm crumpling this up. That's why that little uh, graphic for our series is crumpled up paper. It was really intentional that we did that, because sometimes you just crumple it up, you want to throw them away. Let me tell you, this is the God of a possibility, and he can change your trajectory today. You can invite him in to things in your life, and you can call upon him and open your heart. It says, he says in the scriptures, I stand at the door and I knock, but you would have none of it. He's knocking today, and I promise you today, apart from him, he is knocking, and only he can do it. You have got to open your heart and ask him to do something and to speak to you today. Uh, anybody in here ever had an MRI before? Raise your hand if you had an MRI. Anybody had an MRI? Was anybody else terrified of the MRI besides me? Maybe I'm the only one. Okay. I, it is terrifying. I love it. <laughs> I planted her there to say that, all right? Uh, it is terrifying if for your first time getting an MRI. Now, I know they have like different machines now, but uh, when I had my MRI, I had a bunch of back issues. I had a lot of uh, kind of pain and things going on in my back. And so I went to a chiropractor. I went to a PT. I went to a massage therapist. I got dry needling done. If you don't know what dry needling is, look it up. Be careful. Uh, I went to PT. I went to more PT. And finally, the guy's like, man, we just need to get you an MRI. And so I showed up this thing to get an MRI. And the first thing they do that really, you know, that really got to me was, that, you know, they have you take off everything and put on one of those gowns and all the metal and everything that you have. You got to take all that off. And they walk you into a cold room and you're really, really cold. And it's just a really loud room when you get in there. And you get in there and they kind of sit you down in this little thing that's supposed to move inside this massive machine. And I swear to you, it feels like they were putting me into the back of the train. It was that loud. And it was just kind of slowly goes in. And right before I go in, the guy hands me this blindfold. And he's like, hey, if you want to put this thing on your eyes, if you're, you know, I don't know if you've ever had an MRI before, but you might get a little freaked out in there. So, and I'm like, why would you tell me that like right before I go in? <laughs> and I'm like, I was not thinking about this at all. And, uh, and, and I get down and I put the little blindfold on and it slowly moves in like molasses into this machine. I mean, it's slow, and it's making all of these loud sounds. And you're in there, and of course, I'm the moron. It's like I've got to take off my blindfold and see what's going on in here. And I take it off, and the moment I take it off, my heart just starts racing. And I'm thinking to myself, if I sneeze in here, I'm dead. Like, I, 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 this thing's going to collapse on me. And the, I mean, the craziest thing happened. My mind starts racing. And I start thinking of the craziest stuff. I'm thinking, like, what if someone comes in here and shoots this place up and I'm inside this machine? And, you know, what if it breaks down and all the lights go out and the electricity goes out and I'm stuck? And my heart is racing and I'm, like, sweating in this machine. And needless to say, I came out of that machine and it was a bad experience. It, it was scary. It, I did not like it. But at the end of it all, the reality was is I had the results to see what was actually going on inside of me. And I tell you that today because that's what I think the Lord wants to do today. I think he wants to give us a little spiritual MRI. I think as we talk about habits today and rhythms and spiritual disciplines, I don't really like that word very much. It sounds like I'm going to be putting time out. I never did well with time out as a kid. So, uh, but when you think about the spiritual rhythms in your life, I think the Lord wants to do a spiritual MRI by talking about our money today. Excited, right? Got, got, got all the amens in the world on that one. <laughs> Nobody was like, praise it, brother. Come on. Let's go. Let's talk today. No one. <laughs> you see, because this is how it is with money. The moment somebody talks about money, 
is the moment oftentimes we want to shut off. The moment a pastor starts talking about money is the moment we want to walk out the door, right? I'll tell you what, today is not my favorite subject that I get to talk upon, but I think it's one of the most important. And I actually believe uh, Jesus believed that. Because did you know he talks about money more than he talks about faith in the scriptures? There are more scriptures about our finances and our money than faith. That's insane to think about. That Jesus' words rally on that uh, reality. And there's something about money that really piqued Jesus to speak into the lives of people even thousands of years ago. And it carries into our lives today. And I I sent Tori a text this week. I said, man, uh, can you just tell me how many times have we talked about money over the past Two years, and he looks, and he came back to me with this text. He said, out of 130 sermons, we've only directly spoken about money two times. Now, why I tell you that, it's a little indictment on us as pastors, because that's only 2% of the time we've spent with you the past several years that we have talked about money. If I talked about money as much as Jesus did, we wouldn't have a church here today. (laughs) I promise you that. But it's important And the reality is he wants to use the text and use the scriptures to shine on our heart what is going on on the inside that we may not even realize. And that's what he's going to do. We're in Matthew chapter 6. The story that's happening here is Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been in church, you've heard this before, and you've probably heard uh, this, uh, this, the phrase, I'm sorry, the scriptures that we're going to read today. But he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' way of saying that if you believe in the gospel and the gospel has affected your life, this is what it will look like. This is what your life will look like if the gospel has captured you. So what is the gospel? Let's just break it down at the beginning of the new year. The gospel is not that Jesus came to make you a good person. That's the first thing. It's not. It's not that Jesus came uh, to take you out of your bad morality and put you into good morality. The gospel is that you were spiritually dead. And Jesus came to bring you life, to bring you alive in Christ. He gave his life, and by doing that, his perfection of living this life, this Sermon on the Mount, brought you life for those of us who would have faith in his name and trust in his name. And he gets to this part where he's talking about money. It's in Matthew 6, verse 19. Let's read it together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Another way of saying that, do not store for yourself things on earth, treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves or lay up for yourselves measures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So right out the get-go, nothing crazy revolutionary. You've probably heard this before, but right out the get-go, he makes two claims. One claim, Jesus says, is that you can invest here now into things here, and you can invest here now for eternity. No amens. Jesus said, you can invest in the kingdom of God now. In other words, where you are headed, Christian, you can invest now into where you are going. There is an account waiting for you there of sorts. Do I know what it looks like? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. I don't. But what I do know is that he says what you do now with your resource can be here and be stored up here, or it can be stored up into a 
kingdom eternal account where you're headed. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he tells you is that if you store things here, it's going to be junk eventually. It's going away. It's going to go right on a one-way ticket. Right now, everything you have on you is actually on a one-way ticket to a junkyard, believe it or not. Everything you own is going to be junk at some point. And you're like, I don't really believe that. Okay, uh, parents, you got kids in here, right? Some of you parents with kids. Uh, How many of you who gave Christmas presents uh, gave them a present, and it's already January 20th, and they don't want a thing to do with it anymore? Anybody? We got some hands. Lift them high. I'm seriously, the parents. I love it. What is it? Like five minutes, they have that toy, and then five minutes later, it's like, give me the next one. I want the next one. It's inside of us. We want things. We want more things. We want more things. Oh, we do this as adults, not hating on Apple. We got a lot of people in here. Uh, glad Apple's coming to Austin. Hey, what's up? We got more people moving the city. Can't wait. Okay. <laughs> but Apple, all you people with houses are like, I can't wait. My, my house just went up. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, but uh, what do we do with Apple? Uh, we get these products, we get these iPhones and these things and these gadgets and these, these watches, and then the next thing comes out, and we're like, man, you are so outdated. Uh, I mean, I have, a, um, I have an iPhone, I thought it was an iPhone 6, I found out it's an iPhone 7. I was given that iPhone 7 because my iPhone 6 went out, and here's the deal. Like, right when I tell people, hey, I got an iPhone 7, they're like, why you still got an iPhone 7, man? <laughs> what? Why, what are you doing, man? Upgrade, get the 10. Get the 10X, get the 10XS, get the 10XSSP, get the 10XSS1P13. I'm like, there are so many iPhone, right? There's so many of them out there. And what do we do? We feel like we got to get the next one. We got to get in line. And they train, we're trained to think like this and to think we got to get the next thing. And God says to us, look, man, that's going to be junk. It's not going to last you long. It will satisfy you temporarily. Because you see, that's what he's doing. He's messing with your view, temporary or eternal. He's asking you, are you a temporary thinker? Are you a now person or are you a now and then person? You know what? I noticed I didn't say just then. I I think God wants us to think about now, right? Amen? Like the decisions we make, the things we do. He wants us to think about now. But he's saying, are you a now and then? And where are you storing up? And where are you investing with the money and the resources and the thing he's given you now? Are you thinking now or are you thinking now and then? Are you thinking about what is to come? Because this is what it says in James. It says that your life is like a vapor. It says you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. And none of us believe that. We operate as functional superheroes, if I'm honest with you, right? I mean, we would never say that. That sounds crazy, Nick. But we live in a way where we live and breathe and we don't believe that God could take our life at any time. Jesus says this in the scriptures. He says, I could require of your life at any moment, at the twinkling of an eye. And we don't like that stuff, man. That presses on us and that messes with us. God's saying, the things you have, how are you investing? Now, here's what I want to do. I want to break right off the bat because I already can hear your voices. I can hear what some of you are thinking. I want to break two myths right off the bat. And one of them is the myth that Christians should not buy things that they want to enjoy. Amen? You ever heard people say, hey, man, uh, you know, uh, money is the root of all evil. Well, where'd you get that from? The Bible? No, you didn't. It's not in the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil, but the money is not the root of all evil. This is why it's so confusing and frustrating and hard to understand about finances. But God never said to us that he doesn't want us to enjoy nice things. God never said to you he didn't want you to enjoy this world. Hello, he is the giver of all gifts. He is the creator. He created this earth and he hands it to you. And he says, go play, my kids. 
Go have fun. God is not anti-fun. The Bible is not anti-enjoyment. In fact, it's the opposite. He gives us these gifts like food, right? We get a good steak. Anybody like good steak dinner? I don't know what the best steakhouse is in Austin, but man, I like Eddie V's, okay? And every once in a while, I'll hit up an Eddie V's. And to some of y'all, y'all are like, man, I don't need to come to a church where a pastor's going to Eddie V's. <laughs> well, all right. I like to enjoy some good things sometimes, and I believe God allows us to do that. I believe the difference is, is what happens is we terminate our enjoyment on the gift rather than the giver of the gift. So God hands us a steak and says, enjoy that steak. And we go, the steak was great. We never acknowledge God. Uh, how about with drinking? God gives us alcohol even. I know, wow, I'm, I'm barking up somebody's tree right now. But God has given us some things that he's permissed, he's allowed. And we can enjoy it or we can abuse it. He's given us relationships with people. And what can we do? We can enjoy that person and the gift that that person is. Or we can abuse that relationship and take advantage of it. And what happens is our worship, listen, listen, well, our worship will terminate somewhere. It will terminate either on a thing or somebody, or it will terminate on our God. The end of the line for your worship train and what you value and what you treasure will end somewhere. And I believe God, what he's saying here is not that he doesn't want you to enjoy the world and the gifts that he's given you. What he wants to say to you is, I want your heart. I want your heart and affections to terminate on me. Where are you storing these things? Check this out. I want to read this. If we keep going just a little bit further and we read verse 21. Uh, and just to recap this real quick for you, uh, the things of this earth, this is the first point today, the things of this earth will not last. What we're saying is investment here is insecure, and investment in the kingdom is quite secure, and he'll keep unpacking that. And so he asks us the question, how do I know where I'm making my investments, Nick? How do I know? Well, look at 21. This is what he says. For where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now check this out, look at this. He is saying from 19, you will store up for yourselves, lay up treasures on earth, or you'll do it in heaven. And he says where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. Where you put your resources, where you put your treasure, your heart is gonna be there. So two things we gotta define biblically. What is your heart and what are the treasures? Your heart is the primary seat of your emotions, your affections, your personality, the way you make decisions, how your heart is affects even your worldview and how you look at things. Your treasure is the center. It's the center of our hearts. It's where we put things. The treasure is something that we look at and we say, if I just had that thing, man, it would all be better. That's what we treasure. What is it right now for you? What is it that you say, if I just had that thing, if I had more of that, I would be better. I would, it would all be worth it. I would be doing better. I would be living better. And I might even be a little more worth it. Is it single person? Is it, is it a spouse? Some of us in here, is it college student, a girlfriend, a boyfriend? Is it a job? The thing that you say, man, if I just had that, if I could just get my hands on it, God, I know things would be better. This is what he's saying is where your treasure is, and where that is is the seat of your heart. It's where your heart is. If you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, y'all know Gollum, right? Y'all know that little creature, he walks around and, my precious, right? <laughs> what is it? The ring is 
the thing that is his precious. Everybody wants the ring, right? They go after the ring and it controls their emotions and their affections and all of that. And he calls it my precious. This is what it is. This is what's at the center of our heart. And so whatever it is, hear me clearly, whatever is at the center of your heart is what you are enslaved to. Whatever is there at the center of your heart, friends, is what you are in bondage to. You will do anything to get it. You'll pay any price, and it's worth it to your heart. You see, your heart's affections determine your money's direction. Y'all didn't hear that right. Your heart's affections determine the direction of your money. What you love is where you spend, and I could prove that to you right now if you want. I got any volunteers? Anybody want to come up here? And just real quick, I got an iPad. It's connected to the internet. It'll project up here for us. And uh, we'll just log into your, you know, FrostBank account real quick. And don't worry, I'll cover the screen up so nobody sees your password. No big deal, right? And we'll just, let's just walk through it. Let's just see where you're spending money. And let's just, maybe you'll just, I'll hand you a handheld. Eric will get it for you, bring it up here. And uh, you just tell us, okay, this one is for this. We spent it here. Why did you do that? Tell me. And we just walk through each one. Woo, got a little quiet in here. Got a little quiet in here. Look, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. What I'm trying to do is give you a tool. I think Jesus is trying to give you a tool to teach you and to show you. I'm telling you right now, you want to know where your heart is. Look at your pocketbook. Look at your money. Look at what you spend. Look to where you go. And I know it already. College students, some of you in here are going, man, I got no money, dog. I ain't got nothing. I'm on ramen times two, all right? Like, that's breakfast and lunch, and then dinner, I'm lucky. Maybe sometimes I'll scrounge something else. If not, it's leftover ramen. I'm telling you today, did you know that if you have a net worth of over $3,500, somewhere roughly around that number, you are in the 50% highest wealth of the world? That's how wealthy we are. If you make 77-ish thousand dollars, you're in, and that's net worth, so sell your car, sell your house, sell everything, you're in the top 10% of the world's wealth. I mean, it's amazing. Money is deceiving, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but your heart's affections determine the money's direction. Men, you want to get engaged, what do you do? You come up with a strategy to get that ring, right? Look, I don't have it, but I want to marry her. You know, I hope you do. Men, right now, when you're in love with your wife, what do you do? You, you go and you spend your money to bless her. Some women are like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> well, see me afterwards and I'll talk to your husband, all right? That's what you should be doing because you spend where you want to spend. You get what you want. If you want it, you get it. Your money goes there. That's the strategy of, of our life and our heart affection determines our money's direction. The next thing I want to tell you is that money is highly, highly deceptive. It has a power over you. And right now when I said that, you're like, not me, Nick. Not me. There's the power. You're, and we'll talk about that because there's three ways that money has a power over you. Money creates the illusion of, uh, that we are gaining significance. Money creates an illusion that you're gaining security. And money can distort sight. And I think the scriptures speak towards it. Let's talk about significance real quick. What does money do? The clothes you wear. The car you drive. Right? If I have this one car, if I wear this certain thing, people will like me, they'll respect me, I'll have more. What about uh, the house you live in? Hello, what about the place of town that you live? We all know, without me even saying it, the wealthiest place in this town, right? You know, if you're on that side of town, you've got that, oh, wow, you live over there? Wow, man, I'm coming over to your house for dinner tonight. I'm going to come do what you, I'm, I'm getting with you. 
How about where we eat, right? We eat at some restaurants, and you tell somebody that, and they're like, I can't afford that. You can afford that? Wow, that's amazing. How about charity events? Things get invited to certain things, access to different places that you go. How about uh, being in seats at concerts and events? This is all status and significant. You know what I'm talking about. People Instagram, and I'm on the front row at the Sugar Bowl. Here we go, right? I've done it. I've been there. I'm not telling you I'm above it. What I'm telling you is money is deceptive because those things begin to create this idea that I'm significant. And it lies to you and tells you you're significant because of your status. And it's a straight lie from the pit of hell. It makes us feel important. We look down at people who have less money than us. Subconsciously, a lot of us do. We'll go by somebody uh, here and we'll walk past somebody on the street. And we're like, man, I just don't want to deal with that today. We do it, right? We used to call them drag rats when I was in school down in Guadalupe. It was terrible. Like that was a terrible name. Someone who's homeless on the drag. Man, this is what money does to us. It does another thing too. Um, it's not only deceptive of your significance, but it creates the illusion you have security. It makes you think that if you saved up enough funds and you stored it into your account, that you're going to be okay on a what? Rainy day, right? A rainy day fund. It makes you think that my, my, my security is in this money, that, that we see the money, and the money is a way to feel secure and to feel safe. And, and really what it is is Jesus goes right at it. If you keep reading in verse 25 and you keep going through it, he goes right to it. He says, don't be anxious on what you're going to wear tomorrow. Don't be anxious on what you're going to eat and what you're going to do. And he talks about, I'm your comforter. I'm your provider. I'm your protector. He combats your belief in the illusion that you think if you had enough money that you would be safe and secure. He combats that with his character and his nature and his person. And he tells you, no, it's me that you want. I am the one. We think, we tend to think that money is going to stop us from death. We really do. We would, again, we would never say something like that. It's deceptive. But what do we do? Why, we, why do we eat certain diets and certain things and organic and non-GMO and vegan this and Botox that and we got essential oils? Lord, I wasn't essential five years ago, was it? I'm kidding. Please don't email me. I'm joking. Wow, I got some stares on that one. Well, that's what we do. We try to extend our life. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what I'm saying is that sometimes when we put money into that, we think and believe that it can create our safety net. And God is telling you, you don't know. You don't know what will happen today, much less tomorrow. And you are living like a functional superhero. You are operating in a way, and he calls us to come back to him. He calls us because he says money can't stop tragedy. Y'all know that in here. Some of y'all know that. Money cannot stop anything coming against you. 2008 went from a bull market to a bear market in a heartbeat. Empty gone. People's lives, highest suicide rate in the longest time in our country. Why? Because we thought our money was our security. And it's not. It is not. It is not. It is not. If you go to verse 22, Jesus keeps unpacking this. And it's kind of interesting because he puts this whole piece in there about uh, money. And then he kind of ends this piece with money. But in the middle of it, it's sandwiched in between is this piece on the eye and light. And check out what he says. He says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You're like, well, Nick, what is he saying here? What's happening? It's actually really simple. He's saying if you're in the room right now and you can see me, you have a healthy eye. Amen? Amen? Got a healthy eye. You can see. If you can see, you have a healthy eye, and therefore you can navigate and walk and move, right? But if you cannot see, if there's darkness in your eye, you cannot see. You cannot move and navigate properly, okay? He continues this thought later on in Luke. And what he says in the same exact words, same exact words in Luke chapter 11 and 12, he says the same thing, and then he goes into a whole story where he starts talking to this man who interjects what Jesus is talking to, somebody else, and this man walks up and he says, hey, tell my brother to split my inheritance. And Jesus is like, I wasn't even talking about that. And he says, but hey, this is a great time to talk to you about greed. And he says, let me tell you right now, watch out for greed. Watch out for greed. There's nowhere else in scripture that Jesus says the same words, watch out for something. I love it because Tim Keller, uh, who, by the way, I got a lot of this resource from, uh, has really helped me. If you want to continue this journey, uh, Dr. Tim Keller is really great at talking about a biblical theology on money. And he says this in one of his uh, books. He said that when they were doing a series on the seven deadly sins, um, uh, you know, uh, anger, you know, anger, murder, anger, murder, uh, lust. Uh, I'm not even, I, don't even, I, don't even, I should have prepared for that, right? Um, <laughs> One of them is greed, all right? That was the point. This is why you don't walk away from your notes, people. It's all right here, okay? When he was telling his wife about this series, she says to him, she says, well, are you guys advertising what week you're doing what? And she says, yeah, yeah, we're telling people in advance. This week is, you know, on murder. This week's on adultery. This week is on uh, lust. And then he says, she says, watch. The week when we talk about money will be the least attended week that you've ever had. And he was like, okay. So he goes back and he does the attendance. He checks it out and he says, surely enough, it was the lowest attended week. And he, he started talking to his pastors and his other people on his staff. And what he says he came to realize was it wasn't that everybody was afraid to talk about greed. It wasn't that everybody was afraid to talk about it. What they were afraid, what, what, what he believed he found out was that nobody thought they were greedy. Nobody thought that they were the greedy ones. And so they thought, well, I don't need to go this week. Why would I go? I'm, I'm not greedy. It's boring. I'm not doing that. And what he realized when he looked at this, when he looked at this, this is what Jesus is saying in the scripture. If your eye cannot see, if your eye's healthy, you're going to be able to navigate. If it's not healthy, it's dark. You're not seeing things right. So if you're seeing the treasure that's in the earth is primary, he's saying that's money, that's a resource that's blinding to you. And what it's telling you is that money can distort the way you see things. So what it's telling you today even more than that it's telling you today is that my guess is probably a lot of you in here don't think you're greedy. Oh. Somebody probably woke up today. No one probably woke up today. I'm telling you, as a pastor, no one's ever come to me and said, I need to confess something to you. Man, I'm greedy. I've, worked, I've been 10 years as a pastor. It's not a crazy long time. But for that period of time, nobody has ever come to me and said that. And the reality is, is if you're thinking that today and you think money doesn't affect you, this is probably the message for you. That's what Jesus is saying. I'll give you an example of this. How many of you have taken a job solely because of the money? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> How many of you have taken a job solely because of the money? Okay, let me give you maybe even a little more relatable. How many of you have stayed in a job because of the money? It's deceptive. You're like, Nick, what's wrong with that? 
we will subject ourselves to things we know are not great or not be obedient to the Lord because of what? Money. We do this. How about how many companies we know and places that we know and people that we know that are doing things uh, with their product that are not really benefiting the health and the growth and the heart of humanity. And so if there's Fortune 500s that are selling things and doing things, and we know that's not good for the ultimate good of humanity, and they go to work every single day. Do you think they wake up in the morning and they say, I'm going to go to work today just so I can ruin someone's life? No. Do you think people in certain companies, I don't want to name anything because I'm scared to, but uh, let your mind think about that, all right? Do you think those people in those companies wake up and do that? No, they don't. Because it's deceptive and it's blinding. The money is blinding. It always has been. You know, a study came out recently. Actually, this year you can Google this. Do you know the ideal salary? They found, scientists have found the salary that makes people the most happy. Out of 166 countries, they did this whole survey. And they found the ideal salary is between sixty dollars and $75,000. And some of us hear that and we go, what? I can't even live in Austin on that. What are you talking about? Money is deceptive. It's blinding. And so the things of this earth will not last. Just to recap before we close out here. Money reveals the condition of our heart. It's our heart's affections that determines the direction where our money goes. What we want, we get. And then money is deceptive. It has a great power over us, yet few of us really believe that it actually affects us. It creates the illusion that we're significant. It makes us believe that we're secure and safe. And it distorts our sight. Now, I can hear you asking a question already. Well, Nick, Pastor Nick, what if uh, I went after money and I gave a lot of that money to the kingdom of God? What if I did that? Well, there's two things I want to tell you. One is you're already assuming that if you make more money that God needs your money. Your disposition right then and there from the beginning was God needed my money today. Let me tell you. He never has gone to an ATM machine. He's never filed for a credit report. He's got the best credit that there is in the entirety of all humanity. He never and once has done any of those things. He has not needed to establish a line of credit. He gets what he wants. He does what he wants, and he doesn't need our money. I want to be real clear today, y'all. I know that there's somebody in here who's a skeptic and wondering, why is a pastor talking about money again? I want you to hear real clearly from the elders and from the pastor of this church Tori and myself, we do not need your money. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You're like, no, I've heard y'all ask for it before. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, no. We don't need it. Would God use it? A hundred percent he would use it. But we believe with everything in the fiber of our being that if God wants this church to continue in the city of Austin, that he will supply through his people the means that are necessary to expand these walls and to make influence in the city and to give a shade to the people in the city that are desperately needing it. We believe it. And we are giving everything to it. We are trusting. And when we do budget reviews and when we make decisions, we open our hands and say, God, take this if you don't want us to do it anymore. And give whatever you want to give, but teach us to be faithful with every penny you give us. That is what we believe, because God never needed money to do a dang thing. He just needed himself, and he will accomplish his ways. And so if you think today that if you just pursue more money, that you can give more money, God's just going to tell you, bro, I didn't need your money. The other part of that is he says, it's, I mean, Jesus speaks right to it. Verse 24, he says, no one, will be on the screen, can serve two masters. You can't be mastered by two things. 
For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. We, it says you cannot serve God and money. It's as clear as it can be. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot go after all of them with the same intensity, the same ferociousness. And so my question for you, the person who's asking this question today, my question for you is, are you pursuing, if you ask that question, are you pursuing Jesus with the ferociousness that you're pursuing money? Because he is not trying to guilt you. Hear me. He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants your affections. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know the depth that he's so willing to give anything and everything and move heaven and hell literally for you. That's what he wants you to know. And my greatest fear today is that you will walk away out of this sermon And you'll think that the goal of this message was to talk about money. It's not. The goal of this message today was to talk about your heart. Where is it? God wanted to shine that at the beginning of 2019. Shine these scriptures on your heart and ask you the question, where is your heart? There is no second collection today, people. Amen? Amen. All right. Got that out of the way. There's no building campaign that's going to pop up here and say, okay, and thank you for listening to the message today. On the way out, please put your extra donation. Uh, in two weeks, we'll have a, a whole little you know, packet and bucket out there for you and take it and walk away. There's no building campaign. We want your heart to be healthy, the eyes of your heart to be healthy. We want you to see rightly. We want you to see this world rightly. It's going to affect your decisions. It's going to affect where you go. And God calls you to give of your resources that he has given you. For others, the question he's asking you is, when you think about your future, do you think about your money that you make in light of his glory, that means making much of him, and the compassion that he has for his people? You see, I believe real clearly that there are opportunities every day that present itself to us to be generous, and not just with our money with our time, with our talents, with our resources. Some of you guys are the most skilled uh, web designers in this city of Austin. Some of you are great athletes. Some of you are great um, human resource managers, and you don't even realize that God could use these skills and you could give sacrificially there. This is what he's asking about you. Are you thinking about it in light of eternity? The questions he's saying is not about just primary, primarily money, but where is your primary affection and where is your primary attention? Where is your focus? And if you don't have a lot of money in here, I want to say two things. One, if you, if you do have a lot of money in here today, please hear me clearly. God gave you that. It's not that he's, you should feel guilty for having that money. He wants you to enjoy that life. He just wants to reroute your heart again around what, is you, what are you using it for fully. Could, I, don't, I don't think there's one person in this room that could come and say to me today, man, I can't really be any more generous. I can't really give any more, Nick. I don't think there's anybody that could say that. And so you ask that question, you know, well, then how much? How much should I give? All of us, how much should I give? Uh-oh, it's the dreaded tithe question. Dun, 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 dun. Everybody's favorite conversation, right? No, let me tell you something about the tithe. The tithe is the elementary basics. The tithe, God makes it really clear. Like, we are to give. It's a starting point for us as Christians and believers. 
we're meant to give a portion of our money, right? He, he gives that as a rule of thumb, not as like a rule, but a rule of thumb, kind of like, hey, here's a good guideline for you. But he doesn't say that 10% is it. The reality is, I want to give you a sobering statistic. Of the congregations in the United States of America, by the way, first of all, let me give you a, a happy statistic. We are the most generous nation in the world. And by the way, the most generous people in the most generous nation in the world are Christians. It's amazing. But I want to give you a reality. Of those who are Christian and in America who give, only 25% give 10% of their income or more. That means 75% give less than 10% of their income to a charitable cause, to a church, to a missionary. We got missionaries in this church, y'all. We got missionaries on the University of Texas campus right now in this trying to take the gospel to a 55,000 student campus. And you know what, how hard it is for them to figure out how to get funding? They've got to get on their knees and depend every year. And 25% of this country's Christians are only giving less than 10%. I'm not going to make a commentary on that. I'm going to let you make a commentary on that. But what he says here is if you want to respond to Jesus, y'all don't miss this if you hear one thing today. If you want to respond to Jesus, then you have to respond to the cross of Christ. And the cross of Christ is the picture of sacrificial giving. The cross of Christ is the picture that God gave everything. So if you want to know how much I should give, I'm asking you, I'm telling you that's the wrong question today. The right question is, is how much did Jesus give? The right question is, how much do you want to store up into the kingdom of heaven today? Because Jesus Christ did not stand on a cross, y'all don't miss this, and give 10% of his blood. He gave everything he could. That's what God says generosity is about. It's sacrifice to give everything I can. It's a way to evaluate your heart and to see, can I give more? Can I be more light to this world? Can I be more of the hands and feet of Jesus to this world? What more can I do? Have you seen the movie Schindler's List, anybody? You know the last scene, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, please don't hate me. The last scene, he's standing there and he's crying because he's taking off his ring and he's giving it to them and saying, sell this ring, sell this watch. I wish I could have done more. Y'all, I think we're gonna get in heaven one day and I don't think we will be, I think we're gonna be surprised when we realize we could have done more. I don't think it's God today going, you should feel guilty. I think it's God telling you today, I have an adventure for you and I have a life of freedom for you and it comes from you loosening your grip on your resources and you retightening your hands around Jesus Christ. He is your satisfaction. He is everything you need. He will provide for you. And he will, by his spirit, guide you and your wife or your husband to make the right decisions. And you should feel confident by seeking him and what he tells you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Are y'all with me on that? The question is, not just in my aspect of my life, how do I love people because Jesus loved me? The question is, how do I live cruciform even in my finances? And I'll close out with this thought today. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 said this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's what he did for us. It's a beautiful thing. And the reality is uh, an astounding thought that we can store up today into an account in the kingdom. 
I'm curious what my account is going to look like. Can I be real with you real quick? I always say that. Can I be real real quick? It always sounds weird when I say that. Um, I had to do a really hard heart evaluation this week. And uh, it's really difficult to stand up here and talk and, and to speak and beg God with the authority of his voice to speak, uh, but not to evaluate my own life. And uh, it wasn't where I wished it was. But I will tell you what, going forward, I want it to be in a better place. And that's what the scriptures do. God gives me hope. He gives me a picture of what it could be and what life could look like. And, he, and you know what? It excites me. It fires me up to think about giving more. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25, he says, I've given some of you one. I've given some of you two. I've given some of you four. I've given some of you 10. I've given some of you 20. And he says, that parable, he sets it in the context of the return judgment of Christ. That means when God comes back and we face Jesus, he sets that parable in that context. And he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. That's where that tagline comes from. You hear it all the time. I want Jesus to tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. He says that in context of your money, of your gifts, of your life. And he does that at the very end. And it says that the one who hid away his one talent, his one resource, his one skill, the ones that went and did something with it, gave it away, multiplied it, he said they were the ones who did well. The one who held on to it and hid it and protected it, it said he wasn't really happy. And that's the picture of the end of life with God. We have this life that your date, your birthday is 1986 or 19, you know, I almost said 32. That's not right. There ain't probably anybody in here. I don't know. It's, it's 19 something and there's a dash. Right? There's that little dash, and your date's going to end. And you know what that dash needs to represent in our lives, Christians? It needs to represent what we deposited into the kingdom. That's the call. It's the beautiful picture. It's fun. It's an adventure. It's using the supernatural spirit of God to guide you and speak to you today and say, honey, how are we going to get rid of this extra hundred we got this week? How fun is that going to be? To figure out, how are we going to give away this extra room we have in our house for a season? Some of y'all are doing that in here, and that is an amazing thing. And he calls us to think about that. Because I think we're going to get to heaven. And I think when I get there, there are going to be a lot of powerful men and women in that place that we never heard of their name. We never knew them. They never wrote a book. They never were on a TV screen. I will believe that they never stood up on a stage and gave a sermon but it might be your barista, your barista, who is someone who is highly lifted and honored, and God honors them and gives them much to be faithful over in the new earth, in the new kingdom. He says, those of you who are faithful with the little I give you, I will give you more. And I believe that you'll go, well, why? Why is that guy? Why is that barista? Why was he the one who got more? Why, was he, why did he have more that God gave him to be over in the eternal kingdom? Well, probably because he tried to do everything he could. He sought Jesus with his life. He gave more than he had. He served the less fortunate. He thought of the poor and tried to do what he could to the best by continually looking at this resource of his life, his skills, his time, his talent, his treasures. And the master looked at him and said, well done. Welcome home. Now I give you a lot to be faithful over. What if we today, I want you to think about this. The next time you go to a FedEx drop box, I want you to see this. I, I got this from a pastor friend of mine. Saw it. Blew my mind. Next time you go to a FedEx drop box and you put something in there to drop it off, I want you to look on the door. You know what it says? Secure post. Secure post. 
That's what happens when we invest in the kingdom. It's a secure post. God will do more than you could ever ask or imagine with your generosity. Well, church, what if we were the most generous people in the city of Austin? What if we went out here today and said this week, I'm going to figure out how to bless the heck out of the city. Y'all, people will look at us, and just like Campbell Elementary School, who sees your giving, they will look back at this church and say, I want to know that God. I want to be around him. Let's pray. God, I confess to you my inadequacy here to stand up and just talk about doing something that uh, you know very well that I, didn't, I haven't done well. But I do call upon you for me and all of my brothers and sisters in here for your spirit right now to guide our hearts around what we're gripping on. Maybe some people in here need to ask this question, Lord. How do I view the rich? Do I look at them, God, with disdain or that they live lustrous and elaborate lives? Do I look at them in a place and think I'm more significant than they are because of how they spend? Do I look down upon the poor or do I rather look at them and think, how can I respect them and learn from them? Father, uh, would you even right now speak, how can we be more generous in this city? I pray against one main thing today, Lord, any sort of begrudging, quick decision of giving to this church. I ask that you would take that away. I ask you would take that and that you would um, eradicate that thought right now, that we would be clean and free of any mentality like that, and rather you would refocus our heart and mind back on you. God, it's not money today you want to talk about. It's our heart. What sits at that seat right now? What sits at that place? What do we think if we just had that, it would be more, it would be what we need? Would you reveal that right now? What is it we think we need? Lord, it's you that we need. We need your presence, we need your communion. And you have given it to us by the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Father, renew our hearts today, revive our hearts today around generosity and our money and how much you love us. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen. We are going to